0: Even even if you're paying in social media or you're paying, you know, even, even when you pay, it's noisy. Everywhere is noisy. I think the best thing you can do is... I, I think the starting point is giving a damn about your customers. <laughs> <laughs> I love if, that. If you love your customer and you create something that you think will be of true value, if you communicate that and promise that without overpromising, if you... And if you, if you stop trying to sell to the whole world because you can't, uh, you, you need to find a group of people who are going to value what it is you, you offer and, and just speak to that group. So now you're not trying to fight the noise of everyone, you're just trying to get in front of that group and just be, you know, care about what you do for those people.
1: Welcome to the Storytellers Network Podcast. I am your host, Dan Moyle, and I believe in the power of story. You see, storytelling is what separates us from all other life on Earth. It connect, connects us as humans. And we're about to dive into yet another great story with a terrific storyteller. I'm excited to introduce you to this person. But before I do, a quick reminder that our website has great resources available, past episodes, contact information to me for me. Visit StorytellersNetwork.com for all that. And if you're new, Text the word storytellers to 31996 to subscribe. It's easy to do. Storytellers to 31996. Now, my guest today on this episode is Nick Osborne, the conversational copywriter. See, conversational copywriting could change your business, your career, your personal brand. It is very, very powerful. Whether you own a salon or you're a dentist, how you communicate with your potential clients matters. Even if you're a freelancer, whatever it is, how you communicate. Is vital. Even if even if you're you're not a writer, you do need to communicate or you know maybe hire a writer, right? So Nick is the voice behind the conversational copywriter, and he's ready to show his style of communicating can change businesses of every niche. And we talk about conversational writing, what it is, what it isn't, how to do it well and take your storytelling to the next level, and so much more. This is a great episode to take notes on. So you might want to get out your pen and paper. Or if you're driving, do it later. Just bookmark it and come back. Anyway, without further ado, let's get to Nick's stories. So ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the conversational copywriter, Nick Usborne. Thanks for joining me today, Nick. It's my pleasure. my pleasure. I've been excited about this interview because when we first connected back when I was at uh, the the podcast interview marketing agency, Interview Valet, LA, I was absolutely enthralled with your manifesto. Those 15 points drilled <laughs> right into my writer's soul, man. I, I just, I was like this. And so this conversation, I was really excited. And, and I love how on your website, I'm going to read this right off the website. That have you ever read your own website and thought, that just doesn't sound like the real me? And I thought, man, that's, that's incredible. And it's, you say that it's a huge deal for coaches, therapists, consultants, freelancers, and other folks. And so that's where I kind of feel like the Storyteller Network listeners are right? They're small oh, business okay. people, you know, they're, they're coaches, they're writers, they're freelancers, they're professionals. So I'm excited to talk about that. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. I want to start at the beginning for you though, Nick, okay. now, do you consider yourself a storyteller? Um,
0: in, Hey, formally probably no, but when I think about it, then yes, because, Hey, I've been in marketing, this, this, is my, this year is my 40th anniversary as a professional copywriter. Congratulations. Uh, so, yeah, if I actually think about it, I've been telling stories for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, hopefully honest stories and true stories.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that, I think that's the key, right? Some people think, oh, you're making up stories. No, we're just... No, I'm you. not making up stories. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm just picking the stories I want to I share. So 40 years. So does is that... 40 years kind of where it starts for you or did you realize at some other point you kind of had that gift of storytelling and you wanted to use it in some way?
0: No, like I say, I've never... Um, hey, I, I, have, I kind of draw this distinction in my mind in, when it comes to story. Well, you know better than I do that there's so many people out there talking about story and storytelling and marketing. And it seems to me a lot of people are talking like about story. <coughs> like with the big S, you know, it's like the big story. It's like a Hollywood story, the novel, the origin story, the hero's journey, like these big capital S stories. Whereas I think actually most of the stories in our lives, most of the stories at work in our business are kind of small S stories. They're little stories like, oh, hey, did you hear what Jack did at the company barbecue last week? That's a story, but it's not a, it's not a big S story, it's just a little story, all right? It's the kind of story we all share. So I think it took me a long time to realize I was actually in the business of, of sharing stories because I'd always thought of stories with that big S, you know, like, like my background is like at school I studied like English literature or like classics or like, you know, those, the, you know, real stories. And it took, like I said, it took me a long time to realize that actually a lot of the most powerful stories in our lives are, are actually the much smaller stories, the stories we just used to connect with each other.
1: And, and there are certainly, I think, I mean, I'm sure you agree with this, but I'll ask this, is there a place for the big S and the little S kind of thing?
0: I think so. Yeah, sure. And and, and I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, there are certain brands where if a, if a business has like a really interesting origin story then go for it do the full formal sort of and, and if it has like you know, the arc of the hero's journey of a company kind of getting into a space it wasn't sure about and things were going well and then things were going badly i mean if you've got a great story then absolutely go for it but honestly uh i think most of us we, we don't have that huge dramatic arc of a formal story that could be you know, published as a story. Right. Uh, we, You know, we work with the smaller stories. And, and, and I think s- smaller stories, simpler stories, everyday stories, you know, the professional kind of marketing storytellers underestimate the power of those. Because I, I think those are the stories that are the glue between us. Like, hey, if, if, if you and I met for the first time at some, I don't know, at, at, at a conference or something. We don't know each other. Hey, like we've met, we've done this. We said, hey, Dan, guys, so, it's so cool to actually sit down and talk with you. One, one of the ways that you and I, like all of us, we try to connect is, is we see if we have some common stories. Hey, do you like sports? Do you like the movies? Do you like computer games? Do you like, what do you like? Because as soon as we know, as soon as I know what you like, then I can say, oh man, and I'll tell you a story. Right. And as soon as we share a story, we're, we're closer now. And, and that's I think the magic of the small story, and I think that is the that, that is in, is a conversation with copywriter that's where I see the intersection with me is helping people with the language of simple stories that are actually super powerful when it comes to engaging with other people
1: yeah, so I want to dive into that that intersection as you called it as I said a little bit ago, you help professionals tell better stories. Where do you start with folks in talking about? conversational copywriting and just conversational story. How do how do you start with folks?
0: I guess in a sense, I I try to and and you this is one of those questions where I can I can I can feel that I may get into a rambling mode. If I do (laughs) that's all right (laughs) back on course. I think all of us know how to do this. Like so so going back to that audience you talk about. So these are uh, professionals, a lot of us are solo professionals. Um, in our work, trust is super important. Like if you're, if you're a therapist, a counselor, a coach, a consultant, a freelancer, you're working one-on-one with clients. Um, it, it's not like you're selling steak knives or lawn mowers. You're actually, you're actually interacting with your customers. And, and trust is super important. And that building that trust has to start right at the very outset in your marketing. And that's where we get into the problem of somebody looking at their website and saying, man, that just doesn't sound, my own website just doesn't feel like me, the real me. It sounds like it was written by a marketer, or it sounds too business-like. It sounds too formal or full of business gobbledygook. It doesn't sound like the real me. And so part of what I'm teaching with conversational copywriting is let go of the the kind of fancy marketing talk let go the fancy business talk because in fact your own personal persuasive voice is is natural, natural everyday voice conversational voice is super persuasive anyone with kids has (laughs) got to understand how persuasive a conversation can be hey dad can i oh dad please let me all right yeah. We know how persuasive a conversation can be. They don't sound like marketers. They don't sound like business people. But conversation can be super positive, super persuasive. And, and we've like, that kind of natural enthusiasm kids have. Our kids are amazing salespeople. <laughs> and by the way, amazing storytellers. And, and it, like, like you say, it, it, it's, it's all entwined. But we get that beaten out of us. Like, like at school, we're taught how to write in a way that helps us pass exams. And if we go to university, it gets even worse. It gets more and more formal and rigid, the kind of language we use if we want to get a master's or something. And then we go, maybe we get a business school and we have the kind of, that, that natural feel for natural language completely beaten out of us. And now we're just going to sound like some kind of business computing writing machine, yeah? Mm, and right. it's like we, we all knew how to do it. like as kids we knew how to write conversationally as kids we knew how to tell stories share stories and it's like we have that spontaneity that creativity that that natural ability to engage with others we haven't kind of beaten that educated out of us not beaten out of us but <laughs> in some it. cases <laughs> Do you, know, do you know what? I'll t- okay. You're I you want a story? Yeah. Why, yeah, why do I say beaten out of me? Because I went to a private, I was born, raised, educated in England. So I was, uh, went to sent to a private school boarding school, age eight, and which was just as ghastly and awful as you might imagine it would be. And aged eight, Learning how to write English. I had a problem with punctuation. Actually, I still have a problem with punctuation, but back then I used to stop, I used to forget to put the period at the end of a sentence. And the teacher would come around behind and look through what I'd written. And every time I forgot to put a period at the end of the sentence, he'd take my hand and whack it knuckles first on the edge of the wooden desk. Ouch. So that, and it was never like, hey, that's a great. It, that's a very expressive piece of writing, or that's a great piece of writing. No, it was just, you forgot the, well, in England. let's say you forgot the full point again, whack on the edge of the desk. So yeah, I literally had love of writing or love of language beaten out of me. Um, now, hopefully for most people, <laughs> they didn't have that physical experience. But, but I think it happens to all of us. And we lose the ability to write conversationally and naturally. We lose the, the spontaneity of, of that small s story. Mm. In in fact, the the only time we really get back into that is when we walk out of the classroom or we walk out of the office and we go to the bar or the coffee shop and we sit down with friends and we start talking. And now, if if you go, go into a bar and you'll find all these pockets of people having conversations, step up and listen to those conversations and you'll find a lot of the time, a big part of that conversation is the sharing of stories.
1: Yeah.
0: It's that, hey, did you hear about, oh man, you're not going to believe what I heard. Or they're just, they're the sharing of stories and the bonding, or like I said, maybe it's about sports. Maybe it's about where they went on vacation, um, stuff like that. So yeah, stories, conversation, that, that the language is, is all tied together. And, and it's all part of, I think I'm rambling, but <laughs> it's, it's all part of that spontaneity. And when you have that spontaneity, now you have true engagement. Mm. And you have in this awful overused word, this authenticity is like is it's like you feel natural. So if I go to a therapist or a consultant's website, I, I want to feel, I wanna honestly feel that person's voice. I wanna I, I wanna t- have that first step in getting to know them. And I want to feel I can connect with this person. I feel this person is accessible, I can engage with this person, I can trust this person. Now, if that person, in fact, is just writing at me with hard-charging sales copy, I'm, n- I'm not gonna have any of those feelings. I'm actually gonna feel defensive. Like, you know, if, if it's if it sign up now, or blah, 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 if, yeah. if, if it's, it's the hard-charging marketing, or if it's just business gobbledygook, uh, then that creates distance as well. So that's the commonality, I think, with conversational language and, and, and stories, is they remove distance between people. They create yeah. engagement and intimacy between people.
1: And do you think that being conversational and authentic, um, like truly authentic, not the buzzword, but do you think that can also drive certain people away? And is that okay that it does? Like if my authentic
0: self I was, was going to say is is that yes, I think it's fine that it does, and I think one a kind of litmus test I have for myself, like particularly if I'm writing stuff for my conversational copywriting website or course or whatever I'm doing, is first of all I'm I'm writing to my audience. I'm trying to mirror the concerns, the emotions, the language of my audience. I want them to feel that I hear them, that I'm connecting with them. And then I do this kind of slightly perverse thing in my mind is I ask myself, am I pissing anyone off? Mm. Am I upsetting anyone? And if I think, no, I'm not, I'm not going to upset anyone. It's like, what? It's like, really, really? You're being that careful. You're being that uh, generic that you've created something that's not going to upset anyone. Mm. Uh, And I, and I use that as like a, as a check mark against any kind of work I do because I should be excluding some people. should be people who don't want to do it the way I'm suggesting. Uh, So yeah, hey, it's like it's like I'll put something out to my newsletter list. And if there's anything kind of promotional in there about hey, don't forget there's a course here, sign up, take the course. Whenever I do that, I get unsubscribes because people say, oh, he's trying to sell me stuff, I'm gonna unsubscribe. And that used to upset me years ago. Like whenever I kind of raise my voice to say, "Excuse me, you might want to buy this," the people unsubscribed, and it used to upset me. Now I smile. I think, okay, that was not, you know, it's not a good match. They, you know, if, if they're going to be, if they're going to want to leave, just because I suggest them, I want to pay for a course to learn some more. Mm-hmm. That's fine with me now.
1: And I think that's what a lot of us need to kind of realize, whether it's a small business or a solopreneur or whatever it is, is that. Being that authentic person, uh, that that brand may may upset some people. I'm not I'm not for everyone, and that being conversational may turn some people off, and that's okay. So that's I want to get to that. That's good. Now, when you yeah. when we talk about conversational, you know, I, I tend to think of things like when we are talking, I can trail off at the end of a sentence and not finish it. I can yeah. use words like gonna, wanna, contractions. Is yeah. that how conversational copywriting works? Or is there a different definition to it? It's a great question.
0: Um, and, and it's and it's, an, it's not a tough question, but it's a tough, you, you touch on a tough part is that conversational copywriting or conversational writing is much closer to the spoken word. Um, so yeah, we're going to use more contractions. Uh, we're, we're not going to freak out about the grammar. Uh, we're going to start a sentence with the word and we're going to mess around with our verbs a bit and we're not going to mess with grammar to the degree we're making it harder for people to understand. We're just going to use the kind of grammar we use when we speak that said, like when you transcribe, if someone transcribed this conversation, they could certainly look at my part and say, Oh my goodness, he goes running around round in circles. He repeats himself. He trails off. It's a disaster. I can't print this. I'm gonna have to edit it, which is why we edit transcriptions. So, in a sense, it's like the spoken word, but it is tightened up a little. Or it's another way to look at it is that it's like dialogue in a book. So when you read dialogue, as you when you're in the story in a novel and you're reading the dialogue, or even within a movie, it, it feels like natural conversation. But actually, really, no one ever, ever speaks like that. It, it is much more tightened up. It is much denser in meaning and nuance because it's been carefully crafted. But it certainly doesn't sound like marketing writing. It certainly doesn't sound like business writing or academic writing. It sounds like conversation. But it's actually a slightly different version of conversation. And that, I think, is a, is a reasonable kind of analogy for what I try to do with conversational copywriting, is it feels like conversation. But it's actually much more carefully crafted than the transcription of an actual conversation.
1: So so you could, uh, so one of my questions is going to be, you kind of answered this, if I don't consider myself a writer but I want to do something with the written word, speaking into a recorder and getting it transcribed can be a starting point, but it's not the end all be all, right? You have to edit. It's, it, it can be, and I've played
0: around with that. If I I do a couple of things. Like if I write something, then I'll often read it out loud to see how it sounds when it's spoken. And I've done the other way around of uh, recording something and then transcribing it as well. And though both approaches I've found have helped to a degree, uh, neither one quite hits the spot, I don't think. Um, Because when we write, there, there is a, there's a kind of difference in structure, I think, to how we say things. Even the, I, I, I talk a lot with copywriters about the, the design, the, the appearance of the page. Like say, if I'm writing, and this isn't just conversational copy, but any copy. If I'm writing an email to you, and it's a promotional email, probably my first paragraph will be one line long, one sentence, or le- less than the width of the column. It'll be super short. It'll just be, a, it'd be like a six word. My first paragraph would be six or seven or eight words. Second paragraph, maybe, you know, maybe 12 words in total. And I'm do, what I'm doing there visually is I'm making it easy for you to ease yourself into what I'm saying. If I set it off with a five line paragraph, it just looks like schoolwork. It looks like hard work. And you can go, you know, ah, nah, not going to read that. So the, the, there's all these kind of technical aspects to writing for consumption on a monitor or a screen that you also have to consider as well as the conversational thing. So if, if, if I didn't think in terms of writing structure for a screen or monitor, and I just thought of, hey, I'm gonna record this and transcribe it, I could end up with a really, it, it might sound conversational when I say it, but I could actually end up with something that was a, a five line opening, paragraph which when you then put it on a smartphone you're actually scrolling just to get to the end of the first paragraph so so yes and no i'll I'll use the spoken word sometimes as a guide but i'll also think in terms of the actual structure of the text on a page and and how it looks and feels as people read it and depending again as well whether they're reading it on a monitor or on a phone and in fact i tend to default now to the phone Mm. I know that if it works on the phone, it'll probably work on a monitor. I don't know if it's true the other way around. So I usually write now for a a phone that, that size of monitor.
1: And has technology really changed that a lot over the last, let's say 40 years for you? Or has it always been something you have had to think about where people read it?
0: It's certainly in my early days. So yeah, 1979. So I was writing print. So I knew if I was writing an ad for a particular print magazine or going into five different newspapers, I knew exactly where it was, what size it was, what color. It was fixed. All right. There was no, you couldn't view that ad across different media. Same with radio, same with TV. So yeah, it was very different. Now that said, I used to write some direct mail as well. I used to write junk mail, uh, which is kind of fun because it's super technical in a sense Um, where again, you're definitely designing the appearance of the text as well as writing the text. Um, and see, yeah, there's some commonalities, and again, stop me if I ramble, but an interesting thing I find with direct mail, if, if I write you a four-page letter, I know that I'm gonna lose the most people at the end of each page, which is why if you still get a piece of junk mail, and I know it's pretty rare these days, and it's well done, this, this, they never end a sentence at the bottom of the page you have to turn the page to finish the sentence. And that is so that, you, so that people keep reading. And, and you'll get the same kind of thing happening. You know, I'll have the same, I'm trying to figure this out as well when I'm writing a page on a website, because I know through analytics and through various tools that the more I ask people to scroll, the more people I will lose. So I have to be mindful of the same kind of dynamics. But back to your question, very, very different today. Uh, where people and also people are so much there's so many more distractions today there are, there's are so many more things for people to look at and listen and to view um, so back in the day when I was writing a piece of junk mail, I could literally envision someone sitting at their kitchen table and reading the whole thing in a sitting. It could happen it you know? didn 't always happen, but it could happen now that number of words to hold someone's attention when they got email coming in, they got social media, things popping out, they got text coming in on their phone. Um, incredibly hard to, to hold that kind of attention, which is why we tend now to hold attention by more like drip, 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 like a series of whatever podcasts or a series of articles or posts mm-hmm. so that I can more slowly build a relationship with you. Cause I, I can't hold you for half an hour at a time.
1: Right. And, and is that, how does, how does that make you feel like the technology has done that to us? Is it, is it frustrating? Is it fine? Is it just an evolution? How, how has that technology changed the art of copywriting for you?
0: It's, I, I, I love it. So I, I wrote my first website back in 1995. And, and as I did that, I was like completely blown away. It, I just, I just, it was love at first sight because back then, in 95, the web was very, very new. Um, there, were, there were no blogs, no social media, but there were the first kind of forums cropping up, there were discussion lists. And I thought, wow, this is a medium where the audience gets to speak back. And and today we take it for granted, right, with social media and and blog posts and comment streams under articles and stuff. We take it for granted. Back then, hey, this is never in a thousand years had a medium been two-way or multi-way like that. It was always one-way broadcast medium. So if I wrote a TV ad, I was just pushing a sales message at you. There's nobody sitting on their sofa at home could actually talk back to me, the creator of that TV ad. It was one way. So we wrote in a broadcast, it was a broadcast world and we wrote sales copy in a broadcast manner, just pushing the sales message out. The web comes along and that changes utterly because now I can actually listen to my audience. Mind-blowing. And again, so many companies don't actually do this, but but like, before I write anything, and like if I were writing a website, if I were a consultant or, or a coach or a therapist or whatever, I, w- I would spend most of my time actually listening to my audience. And, and I could do that everywhere and anywhere. I can go to social media or I can go to discussion lists. I can go to... I, I can read review, book reviews on Amazon. I can... Well, I, I can listen to people. I can listen to the language they use. I can listen to their emotions. I can understand what upsets them, what delights them, what frustrates them. And the fact that I can listen to my audience changes everything because now when I write back, I can write back to them addressing their concerns, touching on their emotions, using their language. So my job as a copywriter has changed completely. In a sense, I have to kind of let go my craft or my back in the day, I tell you the, the people joke about it, but it was true. We spend, when we were writing print ads, which I was doing for the first few years, uh, half, half of my mind was thinking about the audience, but at least half of my mind was thinking about the award of jury. Will I get an award for this ad? Is, is this ad, is the headline clever? Is it beautifully crafted? Is the design just so? and and it was weird because that was this broadcast world and and now in the world of the web i have to kind of put aside that it's not about me being clever it's me it's about me like that if you want to be a good conversational copywriter or a good storyteller first you have to be a great listener You, you can't you can't write online copy well without being a good listener so you listen to the words you listen to the language you listen to the emotions uh, and so yeah, the, the web has changed to my mind has changed copywriting completely. So I, I've always been at heart a a conversational copywriter. But with the arrival of the web, it's like, wow, now this is where this belongs. This is this is the lang- this is what copywriting should be. And it now it allows me to be persuasive. In a way that is is more authentic, it's more transparent, it's more engaging, it's more honest. I can sell stuff without being one of those creepy salespeople.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, and, that's and awesome.
0: again, that's that's essential for the solo professional. If you have a high trust business, you've got to sell without being creepy, without being too salesy or hypey.
1: And and it's and I think it comes back to having conversations and helping others and and that's exactly what you're teaching. Do you think that um conversational copywriting and conversational marketing can happen even when it's a a buttoned down industry like uh, like attorneys maybe or financial could that still be conversational?
0: I think so. I think so. I, in fact, I had this um you know, I I I I I, pro, I, I talk about conversational copywriting for solo, for social for solo professionals because it's almost like for me, it's the easiest, easiest way to explain it. To me, it's such a no-brainer that if you're a solo professional looking for a high-trust relationship, you've got to open that conversationally. And then I got this email back from one of my students who was kind of cheeky. He worked in a bank, uh, an investment bank, and he was the head of a group of salespeople selling high-end like banking services to very rich individuals. And my first thought was you cheeky monkey. You should have I should have charged you 20 grand for that. And you just bought because what he did is he bought the course and then he made his whole team read through it. Oh nice. And he said, So this is this is this is very corporate, very Wall Street financial services. And he said it blew our minds. He said we had no idea how much distance we had been creating between ourselves and our customers and prospects simply by selling too hard and raising our voices too much. And they said, as we were going through the course and you were explaining about engaging by listening, by using less threatening, less salesy and more conversational language, he said it was, it was just like, boom. And he said, we just went out. And he said, immediately, they just had, he said, the the immediate return was not financial, he said, but that came fast. He said, the immediate thing was the response from the sales teams, clients and prospects who were like saying, Oh man, you just sound like, I'm so glad you sound. I'm finding these calls less stressful. <laughs> You're not stressing me anymore. You're just talking to me. And so yeah, Hey, if you can work in, if you can work for, for bankers, it can probably work for everyone.
1: Oh yeah. Well, and I guess what I hear you say, Nick, is that it doesn't have to be ultra casual. It just has to match the conversation of your audience, their level, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And people say, Hey, what about business to business? That can't be true. And I'm like, seriously, seriously. I said, you explain, you tell me a single complex business to business transaction that occurred without a conversation taking place between a salesperson and a prospect. Mm -hmm. Every B2B sales interaction includes a conversation, usually by phone, sometimes in person. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, B2B has always been conversational and indeed it's, we talk about case studies in B two B or case studies in marketing. And what's a case study? It's a story.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. and it's, it's, yeah. so it's everywhere. And weren't those most of those conversations back in the day on the golf course? So now it's just the website, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> it, it is like honestly, it's it, it's it's kind of when when you, when you first asked me to talk about conversational copywriting in the context of stories, I was kind of scratching my head and saying, "Well, hang on, how do I?" How do these things live together? But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, there's not hard work at all. Of course, they live together. And like you say, that on the golf course, business being done by the sharing of stories, of conversations, of a share, you know, like say, and then there will be stories about the golf game afterwards.
1: <laughs> of course, it ties yeah. us together. Yeah. And, and, and I think it can probably, I mean, to me, it works whether it's those big bankers, that huge corporate account from a B2B or from a, a solo entrepreneur, those conversations really help us to connect and, and through story, the, the smallest. So I, th- I think it's a great lesson. Um, how, so we talked a little bit about how you start with folks. So you have your courses, this kind of thing. Do you have like uh, one or two quick tips for storytellers who want to better understand conversational? Like what would you tell somebody just kind of starting off where, where, where should they start?
0: I think it's, it's first of all, like if, so if, if you are a a seller professional, you know, a solopreneur, and you are writing your website, maybe it's the homepage, maybe it's a sales page, an about page, whatever, like print, print out what you're writing and then sit across your kitchen table from your your husband or your wife or a friend or whatever and read it out loud and look be aware of your own feelings like do i feel like an idiot reading this like it, this doesn't sound like me at all <laughs> uh, look at their face their response like if they're looking at you like seriously this does not sound like you at all or you sound like a ginsu sales you know knife salesperson, or you sound like oh i, look, I gotta I, I, I couldn't resist I, I i found a piece of text and i share this with you from this is this is from a website for an advertising agency and these guys should definitely have read this out loud so um here's what they say here's what here's the promise from this ad agency we Apply design thinking and stimulate creativity through co-creation initiatives.
1: Did I have no that? idea what that means. <laughs> oh, I'll give you a shout out.
0: Apply design thinking and stimulate creativity through co-creation initiatives. Nobody
1: talks like that.
0: I No, they don't. I, I think what they're trying to say is we have better ideas by working together.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go.
0: So that's uh, I wrote I a post recently about does your does the copy on your website need translating into everyday language in, into everyday English, and it, and most of the time it does. So that's what I say to people is is look at what you have right now. Literally, if you can grab a friend or a family member or a neighbour and say, look, I just want to read this out to you. You can't just hand them the paper. You got to read out loud. Look at them. Look at them in the eye over the kitchen table read it out loud, look at the expression on their face and be aware of how you feel yourself. And this doesn't, sometimes people say to me, oh Nick, but it's like, you mean I can't sell? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that at all. You can sell your heart out, but it's got to, it's got to be you. It's gotta like, sometimes I, I've been selling something to getting all enthusiastic about something and I'm in front of a friend and they just smile. And they say, oh man, it is so cool to hear you. You, You're just so excited about this. Like you're so, I I don't sound like a salesman. I'm just super pumped about it because it's real. Mm -hmm. And like, if I'm selling you something and I believe in what I'm selling and I believe that you could benefit from it and I get really pumped and excited about it, then yeah, heck, I'm selling, but I'm not really. I'm just sharing honest excitement and enthusiasm and that's going to be infectious and if i want to infect you i probably want to throw in a story or two as well because stories can be super infectious mm. um but so so yeah do that test if if you sound like some crazy salesperson if you sound like some weird button-down business person and you're neither of those things naturally then it's going to sound weird when you read the stuff out so you want to rewrite your website to the point where when you read it out loud it, it feel it sounds like you it sounds like the real you it has got tremendous energy it shouldn't be I'm not saying hold back, don't be you know uh, you know people want to feel the energy and the enthusiasm and the commitment uh, but they want to, they want to feel that it's honest that they can trust you that it's real and true
1: mm mm-hmm. And it, and it brings personality. You can be as as whimsical and fun as Ben and Jerry's ice cream, or as kind of snarky and and young as Dollar Shave Club. Whatever right. your personality is, bring it out in that in that writing. Right, and
0: you'll see you'll see that kind of character. And and some there's this English uh, company. What are they called? I'm going to forget it. I, whenever I say something like that, I immediately forget the name of the company. <laughs> They, they sell kind of slushies, what are they called? Anyway, I can't remember, I knew that would happen. But they're, right from the beginning, like they used to, obviously they were a tiny company and now they're a very large company, very successful. And, but they're, they're everything, their marketing has always been playful, always been cheeky. It's been cheeky and, and, and like, you just can't help but love them because they're this cheeky little outfit scrappy little startup and they're not even a scrappy startup anymore but they still have that character and so yeah we get to know and trust trust that you know until maybe one day they break that trust which companies sometimes
1: do yeah and and you know for those who do break the trust if you make it up to me i'm probably going to be a a, an even more fervent fan uh than if i never had the trust broken right i mean that that makeup is really good um so we talked a little bit about uh, you know, how to get conversational, how to do this, uh, where to start, the, the little S, not the big S stories. But when it comes to those stories, and you know we've got great copy on our website, we've got good stuff going on, how are we supposed to get attention in today's world? How do you, is that something that you kind of coach folks through as well? Or how have you done it, uh, Nick, for the conversational copywriter? I think getting attention um, as a marketer is
0: hey I'd, I'd be dishonest if i said anything other than the fact that it's harder today than it was 10 years ago and it was harder 10 years ago than it was 10 years before that uh the, the, there is a tremendous amount of noise out there um there is a there's a horrible kind of nonsense to value ratio imbalance there's and, and it's so hard to figure out who who should i trust Who who should I listen to? There are so many voices, so many promises being made. And also there are people, it's not like we, you know, it's not like I'm the only person who ever figured out that conversational copywriting is powerful. You're not the only person that ever figured out that storytelling is powerful. So there are a bunch of people out there who kind of abuse both. I'll I'll give you an example, like... um, Sometimes I'll sign up for something because either I'm interested in the product or service or I'm interested in the company. Is how, you know, I want to see how they're, mar- they're going to market to me. And what always disappoints me is where I sign up for something and then I get an email uh, that is something like, hey, Nick, exclamation uh, mark. My wife and I were walking back from the beach this morning and I suddenly thought of you. And then I immediately think, no, you didn't. You're a liar. I know that that email has been in your sales funnel for the last six months, and it goes out to everyone you know, six hours after they download your free PDF file. Don't tell me that. It's a lie. And what they're doing is they're telling a story. They're trying to engage me. They're trying to uh, disarm me by saying, hey, I'm a regular guy. I was walking back from the beach with my wife, and hey, I just suddenly thought about you. Yes, it's the power of conversational casual language. Yes, it's the power of a small s story, but it's a lie. And maybe he gets away with it for a while. In the long term, almost certainly not. So it's in, in terms of getting the word out there these days, yeah, I think it's a lot more challenging. Even, even if you're paying in social media or you're paying, you know, even, even when you pay, it's noisy, everywhere is noisy. I think the best thing you can do is I I think the starting point is giving a damn about your customers. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. If if you love your customer and you create something that you think will be of true value, if you communicate that and promise that without overpromising, if you and if you if you stop trying to sell to the whole world because you can't, uh you, you need to find a group of people who are gonna value what it is you you offer. And, and just speak to that group. So now you're not trying to fight the noise of everyone. You're just trying to get in front of that group. And just be, you know, care about what you do for those people and be authentic. And 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 don't stop. If, if I've got, like I said, I got, I got, I take a small pride in still being standing after 40 years. In, in one career, and if I have a if I have a secret to my success such as it is, it's not that I've ever been the best, but man, I'm just very persistent <laughs> <laughs> i'm very I'm relentless like if I want to do something, if I want to achieve something I, I, I'm pretty obsessive about it. and I think in today's market you need to so you've got to Like I say, I think you you need to love your customer, but you've also got to love your message. You've got to love what it is you're trying to achieve because it's going to be a hard grind. And the the, the difficulty is, is the stories we tend to hear online is, hey, I sell X. Let me introduce you to Jack. He took my course. He followed my advice, and now he's making 50 grand a year. All right, so so Jack is always the case study, but Jack is 0.1% of the total. So, so we get this weird distorted image with all these promises out there. So yeah, I think you have to be super transparent, super honest, I think you have to love the people you're trying to serve, you have to love the the promise you're making. And, and there's kind of a bond there where I was talking to someone who wants to do some, some kind of co-marketing with me on conversational copywriting, and his ideas are too aggressive for me. I said, no, this really isn't, this isn't kind of my promise to the people I sell to and the people I work with. And he said, well, you're leaving a whole bunch of money on the table. And I said, I know, of course, I know that. I know that. Of course I am. I know that. And that's the trade-off because I'm in this for the long haul. I want to build this relationship with this audience. I want them to know they can trust me and I'm not going to push them too hard. And if I leave some money along the, on the table along the way, that's okay. Because I'm in this for the long haul. I'm rambling now, I can tell. But. <laughs>
1: well, I, I like the idea of being in it for the long haul and leaving money on the table because I think too many people, especially... From what I've seen, especially right now, digital marketers are that push, push, push or solopreneurs that everybody has a course, everybody has a, I'm going to make you rich thing. And it's like, no, no, I just want to do good work.
0: Oh, that's exactly right. And, uh, and what I dislike is the sense that, and, and I and I, I feel prey to this myself. So I'll, I'll look at colleagues and stuff who, I don't know what, they got bigger houses or fancier cars or whatever. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I, I, I feel bad because I'm not as good as some of those other people I'm seeing out there, like good in terms of, you know, riches, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of marketing is aimed to do that to us, to make us feel that we could do better, like, you know, others are doing better than we are. So yep. it's quite a minefield out there. Uh,
1: make us feel bad about, about ourselves, ourselves right? Waxing <laughs> we're getting a little philosophical here now. That's, that's the best part of the conversation right there. I love that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, So, so kind of in that same vein, I mean, you're, you're somebody who has, who may have colleagues who have bigger houses or, or fancier cars, but you've had quite a career. You've kind of made it to this point where you're able to offer these courses and stuff. Do you ever kind of feel like you've kind of landed in this really good spot? How does, how does it feel to be at this point in your career? As a storyteller, as a as a copywriter,
0: God, I don't know. It, it feels it, it sounds it sounds like a, a cliche, but I I, I actually feel with gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm extremely mindful of the fact that there are other people out there working just as hard as I work, doing miserable jobs for miserable pay. Um, and I, I'm very aware of how fortunate I am in loving what I do and being able to make a decent living. I mean, I don't have a huge fancy house. I don't have a huge fancy car, but I make a very, you know, I make a comfortable living and I'm hugely grateful for that. And that this career path has, has given me, not just me, like, you know, I I got, I got, I've raised five kids. I got seven grandchildren. Mm. Um, this, this career has been wonderful for me and my family. So I'm super grateful for that.
1: That's uh, that's gotta be a lot of stories there then with seven grandkids and five. Lots kids. Of st- <laughs> I okay, love can
0: it. I say one, can I say one thing? Yeah, the, the sure. thing say, you, you talked about the small less stories and then yeah. it's just something I just wanted and you, I'm sure you teach this all the time, but that even when it's a small S story in marketing, I say to people, look, something has to happen. It, it, in, it, a marketing story can't just be, um, I don't know, I, 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 I drove to the gym and I loved it and I came back. It's, it's like, that's a story of what you did this morning, but it's not. it's not a story. It has no, it's not doing anything. Something has to, whereas if I said I was driving to the gym this morning and it's like just a five-minute drive and I suddenly thought, huh if I left the car at home and I walked to the gym and back, I'd get the same amount of exercise and I wouldn't have to pay for the gym. All right. So it's, it's the same thing happened, but something changed, something changed in my mind. Like it was like a transformation, like, huh, if I now, now it's a story. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not just a description of something that happened. It's a description of a change in state of, in some way, I think something has to change, something has to evolve, something unexpected has to happen. Something, something has to happen even in a small s story for it to really engage with people. I think that's what people have this kind of innate, they're not aware of it, but they have this kind of innate story radar. If nothing happens in a story, people are like, huh, what? Like, what? Why, why do you say that? <laughs> it's like we're, all, we're waiting for something. So, so when I said talk about small s stories, I don't mean that. you can just be a straight description of this is what happened i mean something interesting has to happen along the way
1: yeah that makes sense kind of the the so what test right you did say something in the okay now so what yeah Yeah.
0: and and you probably had it like you go to a bar with people from work and somebody gives a story and like everyone kind of tells a story and then everyone stops like kind of embarrassed because it's just like a really bad story because like nothing happened right and it's like awkward for everyone (laughs)
1: And the same can hold true through business. Um, so, yeah. so obviously you, you teach this, uh, we're going to have a link to the sh- in the show notes to your website and everything. Uh, you've got courses. Uh, tell me just a little bit about how the, uh, how a course works. If I, if I'm really, you know, if I'm listening to this and I'm really loving the conversation, I'm thinking, man, I want to learn how to do this. Is it pretty easy right. to get involved with you, Nick? sure um
0: i have a i do I, I have a course on this it's kind of video based with uh slide video based slide presentations uh different sections different lectures there are 18 different lectures in total and, and it kind of goes through uh, of like the principles of conversational copywriting and then how to apply the conversational approach across different media like email and social media and web pages things like that so so it's real hands-on there's homework assignments um the, I presented in different tiers, like and there's different prices, but there's also different levels of engagement um, that, you know, you step up at one tier and you get this kind of group coaching. There's a community there, uh, which is great, which is fantastic. I love that part of it. And then in the top tier is actually some one-on-one coaching and engagement with me personally. Um, so yeah, you can just choose the level that the best suits you. Um, But definitely it's a complete course and there's bonus materials and I'm adding, if I add everything, add something every week now, I'm adding a new video to the course. So you buy it once, yours forever and it just keeps growing and growing. I never stop thinking about it.
1: It's (laughs) it's a healthy obsession, right? (laughs) That's that's awesome. Well, uh, it's been an an incredible pleasure, Nick. I want to wrap it up with one last question for you. If, If someone were to say to you, okay, Nick, you're done telling stories, what would that last story look like that you'd want to go out on? Is it like a deathbed story? Yeah,
0: maybe. I don't know. guess <laughs> it depends on what I wanted, what it was about. Like if, it's a, if I want to bring comfort to people or if I want to. All right, I'll give you a story. Life's, so this is a lesson. So, so one of my weaknesses in life is I keep giving people advice when they don't ask for it. And it annoys some people. But so on my deathbed, i give one final st- piece of advice, true story, whether people wanted to hear it or not. So here's the story. It's a true story. <laughs> you love that one, true story. So when I was in my teens, I guess I was about 17 at school in England, there was this kind of exchange or transfer thing. And me and some buddies from the school ended up as guests of the Norwegian army. at some Norwegian army base buried deep in the forest somewhere in Norway. Uh, I I have very hazy recollections, but it was kind of weird. Anyway, part of what we were doing, in fact, this is like in the mid 70s, all right? So um, there were, you know, there's no phones or GPS. We just had a pencil and paper and compass and a map, and we did this orienteering. And we had to get from the camp to some point where they picked us up in the truck. By the end of the day, going through the Norwegian forest and rivers and all that stuff. And we were sent off in groups of two, uh, spaced out. And so this this, um, Norwegian army guy, he's he's giving us the maps, and he he says, one one piece of advice before you go. He said, when you're reading the maps, which you're gonna have to do if you wanna find the track at the end of the day, when you're reading the map, because this is out in the wilderness, if there ever comes a point where the map and the land disagree, always remember the land is right. And he said that, and it was like this, like it just fired off all these circuits in my brain. It was like, boom. And like, th- honestly, from that, from that point on, like in life, and, and often it's where people have said, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's the map. And I love a map, I love maps to help me get to where I wanna be. But where where I see that the information on the map does not correspond to the reality I see in front of my face. I always, I still, like it was one moment, he probably took like 30 seconds to say that to us. And I've remembered it like ever since. It's like where the land and the map disagree, always remember the land is right. So good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Well, man, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Where's So where is the best place for listeners to find you, man?
0: Uh, conversationalcopywriting.com. Um, you can, i got a blog there. I've actually put together a page for you, conversationalcopywriting.com forward slash stories. If, if you go there, there's like a free download. There's some free videos. So yeah, I do what those other guys do. I'm going to try to get your first name and email address. And if you do that, if, 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 you, if, if, you, if you get into my funnel, uh, hopefully you'll see the difference that I'm not one of those pushy, hypey people and that I'm more, common, yeah, I'm enthusiastic. Yes, I really want you to learn this stuff. Uh, but hopefully you'll see a slightly different tone. And hopefully the voice you hear on the set on the website and the voice you hear when you read my emails is the same voice you're hearing now. Because if it's not, I'm doing something wrong. I, this is what it's meant to sound like. It's meant right. to be me.
1: And I'd say anybody listening, uh, stamp of approval. Go do it. Get involved in the in <laughs> next uh, funnel, man. Uh, well, one of these days we'll have to meet up for at a pub for a beer to hear the rest of the Norwegian story. How you got there? Because that sounds amazing. So <laughs> no, I,
0: I got, I got, I got, I got tons of stories. Give me <laughs> a few beers. No, I'm, I'm story central. Cheers, man. I'm in. I'm in.
1: <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for your time today,
0: Nick. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me.
1: So once again, thank you so much to the conversational copywriter, Nick Osborne. You can connect with him at the links he mentioned and others all in the show notes. There's his social media and all that good stuff. Uh, and if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with someone, post it to social media, text it to somebody who needs to know about conversational copywriting uh, and storytelling, tell somebody on the street, wherever you can share it. Very much appreciated. If you want to share your story with me, go to the storytellersnetwork.com and hit contact Dan on the contact page. Send me an email and let's connect, all right? Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers.